politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots and Minutemen standing at the ready to protect our God-given rights. This is your host, Daniel Horowitz, back here in the house for Friday at Blaze Media. You could follow me, follow the show, subscribe, iTunes, Stitcher, anywhere you get the show. Follow me on Twitter at RMConservative, as long as I'm not kicked off there. Folks, typically after a speech like last night's Biden address, promising to take away our guns, man, we'd be all alarmed and focused on that. And I'll tell you, at least for now, maybe next week I'll get back to this, I'm not even going to comment on it. Because that's not even the problem. Gun control is not the problem, and they're not going to succeed in it anyway. The problem is body control, mind control, everything else that they are succeeding in. If you have to build an edifice, a sort of trench, defensive fort, you look at your weak areas. Guns is our strongest area. I'm not saying the GOP can't be better. They could actually go on offense, demand more on locking up gun felons. Biden has a glass house now saying we need to raise the age these are the same guys letting out freaking 16 year olds with five armed carjackings in a half a year and they don't serve a day in jail we could crush them on that issue hey guys if i were a gop governor i'd say let's shake on it 25 years mandatory minimum including juveniles for any armed carjacker let's shake on it buddy but of course they won't do that because republicans bought into jailbreak but generally speaking they're fine on that like i said i am a little bit worried about this mental illness stuff, uh, where they're going to head with it. Uh, Mitch McConnell actually name-dropped that. Uh, Mental illness and protecting the schools, that's what he said, are the two things we need to do. But generally speaking, you listen, and every Republican, every Fox News reporter, talking head, uh, conservative figure, they're more or less on message. So I'm not going to deal with that for today. We will get back to that, you know, with the crime, the gun felons. I think there's a lot we can do to jujitsu this. And of course, Republicans never press their advantage. But at least here we have an advantage to press. But yet here we are when it comes to the clot shots. We have the poisoning of Americans beyond belief. We have coming up in just a matter of days, they're announcing that by June 21st, they hope to get the shots in the arms of babies as young as six months old. How is this not the issue of our time? That it keeps perpetuating the virus, that it destroys the immune system, and causes every ailment known to man, starting with heart inflammation and everything there on down. And yet, to this day, it's like it doesn't exist. It's a complete lockout. And I'm going to tell you what is motivating me so much We talked a lot about the military this week, and I just want to follow up on that in a moment. But first, our sponsor today, Birch Gold. Look, with all the upheaval from Republicans joining in with the $40 billion for Ukraine, not only cheapening our dollar and causing irrevocable inflation that's, hey, the Biden administration is admitting this is going to be long term, but also the supply chain shortages the food shortages, and that in itself is just going to cause everything to skyrocket. The market has finally met its end, at least for now. Um, Bear market territory after a long bull run. 
if you want to protect your nest egg with something of worth, gold and silver is always a good bet. And Birch Gold is the best way to do that. Birch Gold will help convert your IRA or 401k to a tax-sheltered account. Go Get started today by texting Daniel to 989898. They have thousands of satisfied customers at Birch. A-plus rating from the, from the Better Business Bureau. And they can help you protect your savings with a no-obligation free info kit on how to convert your IRA or 401k to a tax-sheltered account in gold and silver by texting Daniel to 989898, 989898. So I want to read to you what motivates me to, to go on. And, and we're going to have a, a very special guest to, to give us the latest kind of broad overview of why the shots are the most important thing. They really are. Because they, they in themselves are destroying lives, both if you don't get it, you have your career destroyed. If you do get it, you have your body destroyed. And then everything they plan on doing, they're on down with it. And everything that it represents with the biomedical uh, state, transhumanism, track, trace. You, know, you have now in, in, in uh, Norway, they have a system in place where they're going to monitor every food purchase. It's part of a broader agenda that's actually a much bigger deal than gun control. In fact, I would... The devilish side of me actually wants him to legitimately go after guns because I feel like that's the only red line that we have unified uh, to, to, to create in the sand to actually spawn a legitimate reaction. So we need that reaction. But I'm going to read to you an email passed indirectly to me uh, from a military wife. My name is Danielle. My husband is in Air Force Reserve. He's an Air Force Reserve Airman. As it stands... He has had his religious accommodation request for refusing the COVID vaccine denied, as well as the appeal of that request denied. The reason he pushed for religious request was because of the use of fetal cell lines from an aborted fetus. We believe that murder is immoral and wrong. We also believe that those children who are aborted on a daily basis are being murdered. On May 11th, he was informed that he would no longer be allowed to continue to participate in his drill. Well, what does that mean? It means that it would effectively cut 1100 a month from our paycheck it also means that his retirement from the reserves could be delayed or even nullified. Because he has not yet been put on IRR or individual ready reserve, which basically means he will be kicked out of the Air Force unless a major event or national emergency occurs, we are still able to receive TRICARE insurance. This is important to us because our second daughter was just born. She required to stay in the NICU. However, he may be pushed to IRR any day, which basically means they're going to be caught without coverage. Because remember... You know, when you go into the military, you have all these benefits, but on the other hand, you orient your life, and especially with a spouse, you move around, you have to live in a certain area. It's all, you put all your eggs in that basket. So if the military goes and screws you, you're worse off than, than a typical civilian is who, you know, it's hard for everyone to switch jobs, but for them, they're really screwed. So they have a kid with, you know, born with health issues in the NICU. And, and this is just, you know, one case study of what is going on in the military all for a shot that literally is worse than Joseph Mengele. It's Joseph Mengele if he had control of the entire world. And where is everyone? And before we bring on the guests, some, just some of the latest news, just to demonstrate how special the shot is. And I don't have time to get into everything. I'm not going to follow it every day because we have a multitude of issues to cover, but I wanted to go over some of this with you. New South Wales, it's the largest state in Australia. So 
they have a weekly report like Scotland and England did, a little different, to break down the hospitalization and deaths by vaccination status. Now, until now, they had triple or more, double shot, and then they put unvaccinated or unknown in the same pile, so you couldn't really use the data. Well, surprisingly, the week ending May 28th, they finally separated it out. And out of 353 new hospitalizations over the preceding 14 days in Australia's largest state, where the patient's vaccination status was known, so 353 because there were 121 where it was unknown, just one of the 353 new hospitalizations were confirmed as unvaccinated. 72.5% were among those with three or more shots. 64 of the 96 new COVID deaths were among those with three or more shots. You look at Australia's epidemiological curve. It's up and down, up and down, up and down, off-season. Typically, we had a Gompertz curve. Very sharp up, very sharp down. You have nothing for a few months until it comes back seasonally again. The seasonal Gompertz curves, meaning both the fact that it's out of season and the fact that the curve meanders around like a stock market tick, you know, you know uh, trend, that has only began occurring after the VAX, which demonstrates that what, what, what it, the, the, the virus should be gone by now. So what is happening now is clearly being brought on to you by the shot. It doesn't mean that if you didn't get the shot, you can't get the virus, but it does mean that the overwhelming majority, you know, a greater share of them proportionally are among the vaxxed and that typically if you didn't get the vax and you already got omicron you shouldn't get omicron twice that is very rare um again remember natural immunity always works but omicron changed that because it was a new bioweapon that they released it has some sars-cov-2 signatures but it's really new um now, if you if you got Delta or one of the other ones, I've never heard of someone dying um, of Omicron. Uh, you know, they got it that bad, especially if they didn't get the shots. But, you know, remember, this thing does shed. You look at the Walgreens weekly testing rates. It goes literally positivity rate progressively gets worse with the amount of shots you get, and it gets worse over time. In other words, if you're more than five months out from the... Last dose, it's even worse. The unvaccinated account for 24.7% of all tests conducted last week by Walgreens, but only 18.8% of the, of the positives. So it's less than their share of the tests. Whereas if you go to the triple vax, they're 27.7% of the tests, but 34.5% of the positives. Let's never forget that the UK took away all of their reporting on a case rates by VAC status. But the last report they had the last week in March showed that among those 40 to 49 years of age, you are 4.1 times more likely to test positive with three shots than with no shots. And, and, and again, you could compare this anywhere in the world. Cambodia. Cambodia did not have a single death until March 2021 when they started with the shots. And then now they have several thousand. How did that happen? Okay, how did that happen? 
U.S. age-adjusted all-cause excess mortality for quarter one of this year was almost 21% above baseline. That's higher than any time during all the quarters of 2020 and 2021. Over 95% of seniors are vaxxed. 86% of over 18-year-olds are vaxxed. Most seniors have three, if not four or five now with many of them. And yet we have more excess deaths in the first quarter of 2022. Now, unlike with Australia, because they don't have much built-up immunity, how many of that is from COVID, because the shots don't work, or, you know, ADA, original antigenic sin, and how much is from the rest of the vaccine injuries, or a mixture of the both is unclear, but it's clearly coming from that, and we're going to get to the bottom of it with our next guest. Now, today's interview is sponsored by Raycon, the best quality, most affordable wireless earbuds. If you want to listen to one of our great interviews with our guests and our doctors, unplug, stop with the transhumanism so you don't have your eyes glued to the screen like I do and you get disabled from it, pop in Raycon wireless earbuds are the best way to bring audio with you no matter where you go. They don't shake. They stay in your ear. The fit is perfect. Uh, there's also an awareness mode for when you need to listen to your surroundings so you can take Raycons with you wherever you go. They have an optimized gel tip for the perfect in-ear fit, so they're very comfortable. I have like these sensory issues. I don't like things on my body. That's why I typically don't wear a watch. I never did. I don't like things in my ears, so this I find is the most comfortable. They have eight hours of playtime, 32 hours of battery time, and here's the kicker. You get the quality audio of premium audio brands, but half the price of those typical brands. Right now, CR Podcast listeners can get 15% off their Raycon order at buyraycon.com slash conservative. That's B-U-Y-R-A-Y-C-O-N dot com slash conservative to save 15% off buyraycon.com slash conservative. So what's very interesting about our next guest is that I believe Dr. Colleen Huber was really our first doctor we had on the show. A lot of you I know started listening. Uh, we've been on the air for many years, but a lot of you started listening when we had these patriot doctors that gave life-saving advice, uh, both in terms of treating the virus, in terms of knowing what to avoid uh, with regard to the government's choice of therapeutic with regard to dealing with your place of work, with dealing with your school boards, with everything. Dr. Huber was really our first doctor we had on. And if you want to know what's going to happen in any therapeutic, whether it's a shot, whether it's a treatment, whether it's the mask, she's always the first in. We always like going to where the puck is headed, not to where it's been. Uh, if you remember, Dr. Huber was really one of the first, I know, if not the first, to write a comprehensive paper on the harms of masks. Since then, we've now have had published li literature vouching for all of that. She was the first person that I know of who wrote a full book on the treatment of COVID. Okay? I have it right in front of me here, The Defeat of COVID. If you haven't gotten it, it's still there. 500 medical studies showing what works and what doesn't. Now, she's a naturopathic oncologist. Her cancer clinic is in Tempe, Arizona, 
uh, it could be found at natureworksbest.com. Those of you who are unfortunately dealing with that in your family, you might want to check it out because that same so-called out-of-the-box mindset that she is uh, put forth with COVID, she's been doing for years on cancer. She's the president of the Naturopathic Cancer Society. So she's really the go-to person for people seeking something better with regard to cancer treatment. Definitely keep that in mind. Now, what we're going to talk about today is she's out with a new book. A lot of you are emailing me, Daniel, I, I, I need help debating this person or I have to deal with uh, this guy saying I need to get the shot, this doctor, where was the study on this? And honestly, I can't even keep track of the work that I'm aware of and I've referenced, much less work that I'm unaware of. So she has compiled it all into one book. It's now available on Amazon. Uh, it is titled here, Neither Safe Nor Effective, the evidence against the COVID vaccines. You could also follow her work on Substack at Colleen Huber, H-U-B-E-R-N-M-D, as in naturopathic MD. Uh, she's been all over the place. She's had academic writings on cancer strategies for years. While you're at Amazon, really, I mean, every book is a home run. Uh, she has her famous book, Choose Your Foods Like Your Life Depends on Them as well as her uh, cancer treatments and cancer prevention, which she put in the Defeat of Cancer book. So she's always been at the cutting edge. Typically when people write books, they write books because they want to write books, especially the political loudmouths on Fox News all the time. But with, with Dr. Huber, it's all about informing people, and it's life-saving information. So she's now doing with COVID twice, both on the treatment side and the clot shot side, what she did with cancer. So with us today is none other than Dr. Colleen. Hey, thanks so much for joining us for a second time. And hopefully we're going to do it again a third time for cancer. How you doing? Good morning, Daniel. It's a pleasure to be talking to you again. Yes, and I know you have a lot to say. I want to get started. So neither safe nor effective, the evidence against the COVID vaccines. Obviously, you know, thank God there have been a lot of people that have come forward uh, putting out information on the shots. Why now, and what do you feel you have to add to this debate that people could find useful? Well, first, I want to thank you for that very complimentary introduction. I hope to live up to that. Uh, I want to also clarify something about that introduction and as kind of a background to answer your question. It's that uh, your listeners may be wondering, well, she seems to be all over the place. Let's see, she treats cancer for 15 years, but then suddenly she's writing about masks. And then she's writing about, you know, treatments for COVID, which is a respiratory uh, infectious disease. And then um, she's now writing about the uh, COVID vaccine. So how is she writing about such disparate topics? I can tie that all together if you like. And that is that, um, you know, with COVID, uh, there are possibilities of development of new cancers. What I am trying to do is help prevent new cancers. I know as somebody who's treated cancer for 15 years, it's very hard to get cancer into remission. We really try our best. It's very hard. But preventing cancer, oh, that's a lot easier. Um, we know that masks are a hazard and uh, we uh, you um, we might get into that later. Um, so I was writing about that and how it could be a risk for cancer. But I also see the COVID vaccines as being a distinct risk for cancer. So that was a motivation for me to write both of these books. Yes. And I want to start with that 
because I, you know, our audience is broadly aware of the many harms. I think anyone listening to this show is certainly not uh, running out to get it now. Um, but in terms of what to look for and what are the most concerning harms, obviously with a doctor like you, I've never known someone who really has studied and articulated the pathophysiology of cancer, what causes it, what uh, you know, what strategies work against it. Uh, to the average person that never heard about the cancer issue, it's kind of far flung. You know, what does that have to do with anything? So explain why exactly these shots pose a risk and are they equal with all the different versions of it or are some worse than others? Well, uh, we do think that um, there may be some worse than others and uh, that uh, purely on the basis of dose. For example, uh, the Pfizer shot seems to have uh, 30% of the mRNA of the Moderna shot. And so we are seeing um, more morbidity and mortality following Moderna generally than we are following Pfizer. So that's, uh, it does seem to be dose dependent. And, um, that's, that's definitely a problem. I do think that there are some cancer risks related to the COVID vaccine that we are not quite aware of. Now, it's commonly thought in oncology that when a cancer appears, when a tumor first becomes, um, you know, clinically, uh, you know, of awareness to either the person or the physician or imaging. Uh, that tumor may have had its initial initial impulse as much as 40 years ago. Generally, it probably won't be that long ago. But, uh, you know, I still see in my clinic, for example, people who uh, grew up uh, near the Chernobyl uh, nuclear power plant or downwind from it, who, who talk about their neighbors having had cancer. Or other people with industrial um, backgrounds whose coworkers have the same type of cancer that they have. I, I get that, but, but sometimes it does manifest for many years later. So, in other words, we are probably on the early end of seeing that curve of new cancers, um, although it has been picked up on uh, by oncologists already that we're seeing new and aggressive cancers. You may have, I'm sure you're aware of the work of uh, Dr. Ryan Cole, pathologist, who uh, has been talking about the new and especially aggressive cancers. Now, why is that happening? It's happening likely because uh, we know that mRNA can change DNA, and Harvard and MIT showed that. Uh, so that uh, maybe makes us a little bit more vulnerable to uh, new cancers when DNA changes it no longer is necessarily uh, as well regulated as it had been earlier. So this may be a cause of the new cancers that are being seen following the COVID vaccine, but we're still at the early end of that curve, most likely. And those cancers, probably a majority of them, have not quite shown up yet. Why are people reporting that cancers seem to now be a little bit more aggressive? So you'll have a two-week progression that's the equivalent of what used to take a year you know, prior to this. Why are they suddenly so aggressive? Well, as your readers, I mean, your listeners, sorry, are likely familiar with uh, original antigenic sin. Let me just uh, review what that is uh, for people who have, have not been sure about what that means. Um, original antigenic sin is that your body has confronted an infection in the past. The adaptive 
immune system, the one with memory, the one that contains B cells and T cells, are now oriented to look for that particular infection. And because it, it is oriented in that way, uh, there is a possibility of not being generally uh, versatile enough uh, jack-of-all-trades enough of, in the immune system to be able to look for all kinds of infections because we're busy focusing on, we don't want to see that particular one again, you know? I mean, for example, if a house were robbed on the street and the police all go and stare into the window and look and see if the robber is still there and there are no police left for the uh, other houses, well, the other houses are more easily robbed. And uh, this is very crude uh, uh, metaphor, so, I suppose. But, uh, <laughs> you no, know, but you're saying a little it's bit the same that police yeah. in the body that police viruses police cancers yes precisely because the immune system is all about vigilance it really is all about vigilance and the strongest uh, aspect of our immune system is the innate immune system actually if nobody has time to read my book or if somebody does not have time to read my book let's just go to immunology 101.1 uh, that is a chapter that i write uh, directed to the layperson and it will sound a bit esoteric at first because they talk about things that, you know, we don't normally talk about in a lay uh, environment like macrophages, neutrophils, uh, natural killer cells, dendritic cells. Okay, so all that means is these are different players in the immune system. Um, the innate immune system is considered to be very old and uh, it's been in the animal kingdom a long time. Uh, it's what a child is born with and does not yet have much uh, adaptive immune system that is the specific memory. Um, and the thing is, very unfortunately, the immunology is the part that doctors very often sleep through in medical school. I know that because of classmates who said, oh, what do we have to memorize for this exam? Let's memorize the neutrophils do this, the macrophages do that. Okay, memorize, spit it back on the test. Okay, finished, <laughs> forgot that. And, and then uh, we were told that, you know, immune function uh, comes at the point of needle, a needle that uh, very often will turn as a Trojan horse past the body's main defenses, our main defenses, being the skin and the mucous membranes. I know I'm saying things that are common sense to your listeners. They're, they're already quite familiar with this, but I think it bears repeating because there begins to be a somewhat almost a quasi-religious idolatry about vaccines. It's like vaccines, once you take some random injection of uh, various chemical substances and you call it a vaccine, ooh, now it has a special uh, value that is sought uh, by people. And, and maybe should I give it to my children? Maybe I better ask the pediatrician about it. Sounds like a good idea. Uh, you know, I've always been vaccinated. Let me keep going with it. And um, But I think we have to step back and say, but what is vaccination actually doing? It comes at the point of a needle that tr takes that Trojan horse path, past our strongest defenses, our strongest and earliest defenses. And also past, you know, just beneath the skin, macrophages are all over the body. The innate immune system is as close to every single cell in your body as the thickness of a fingernail. That's how far it is away. And this is the natural, uh, you know, that we're born with, uh, the natural immune system we're born with, um, you know, prior to or without any vaccination at all. And, and, and that's the system that has, a, you know, a, a surveillance system against cancer as it does other pathogens and that's what's being suppressed with original antigenic sin am i getting you correctly because it's very important we are days away from them approving the shots on the final group of people babies and toddlers it's truly shocking 
uh, given everything we now know about the shots and the fact that they were never at risk, uh, even before we knew how bad these shots were. Um, exactly. Are you are you demonstrating? You're saying now that it's not just the fact that kids don't need the shots; it's also the fact that you're taking. It's like taking a brand new Rolls Royce. You know, the best. I mean, you could have. A two hundred thousand dollar car, brand new, off the lot. That's what a kid's innate system is, and it's particularly damaging to children because they don't have, uh, you know, God made it that they start off with a strong innate and then weak uh, adaptive because they just, were just born and it kind of, you know, crisscrosses throughout life. You're right. saying they're harmed the most because their their innate system is the best and has the most to lose. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And like you say, uh, part of the function is that uh, the innate immune system is suppressed. And the other part is the original antigenic sins aspects of it of being distracted. And, and, you know, we can see this, for example, in the COVID vaccinated. For example, you know that the COVID vaccine is directed against the Wuhan strain. Well, the Wuhan strain has been gone from circulation for about a year and a half. So it's kind of uh, pointless and silly to vaccinate against it. I mean, so that's why the very next uh, major strain that circulated throughout the world, the Delta strain, the vaccine did not work against, and even less so against Omicron. So we find that the vaccinated people are showing, uh, you know, more vulnerability to Delta and Omicron. So if we've seen this in adults, uh, this is probably not a good idea to unleash on kids. Sure. Some might argue, well, well, what if it were a really deadly virus for children and, you know, this were their only hope of, of protection? We know that there's probably not one demonstrated case of a child dying strictly from COVID because uh, the children who died with COVID diagnoses also had very serious uh, comorbidities such as uh, leukemia and uh, a fulminant leukemia or other uh, serious diseases for which um, their life was threatened. To begin with. So before we get back to the book, I have several other aspects I want to ask about. Just the current epidemiology of, of this virus, we talked a little bit about the latest data. There is now months upon months worth of data from all over the world coalescing around the same theme, that it seems like the more you vax, the more you get the virus, the more it gets worse. All the nations that had no problems especially in the Pacific Rim, uh, prior to the vaccination. Now they do. I thought a year ago that, look, I know the shots don't seem to work, but because they don't work, people are going to get it. And then fine, by hook or by crook, we'll be over with it. But yet we have six times more cases now in the U.S. than we did this time last year. We're seeing out of season. It doesn't go by seasonality anymore like it did very clearly. Geography. Right. It You don't have the Gompertz curves, right, where it goes straight up, straight down. It kind of meanders. How much of that is original antigenic sin where it precludes immunity? And how much of it is perhaps the vaccine is the pathogen? And that, that A lot of people are asking me that, and I'm still very confused about it. Oh, I agree. And I'm very glad you brought up the Pacific Rim. That's a good example because SARS-1, you know, back in 2003, hit the Pacific Rim harder than it did in the West. And so, uh, but, however, there wasn't a uh, commonly taken vaccine for that. So uh, fast forward 17 years to 2020. 
and now they are infected with SARS-2. But what happens? Uh, SARS-2 had uh, relatively little impact. So the morbidity and mortality were quite a bit lower in the Pacific Rim than in uh, some of uh, Europe and uh, North America, particularly around the New York City area where the mortality, New York, New Jersey, where the mortality was quite a bit higher. Okay, uh, SARS-1 had not uh, really made that much of an impact on us in the West in 2003. So we weren't uh, quite prepared for it. But I think that the, the previous exposure in the Pacific Rim uh, actually did help them against that. When, the, when it's a natural immunity, the, a previous exposure tends to help. But when it's a vaccine-induced um, antibody-stimulating uh, process, that does not seem to help. And also, the one reason that it's even less uh, helpful in this particular case is because we're dealing with a coronavirus, which mutates so fast. No coronavirus vaccine that had ever been worked on before had ever been successful. And also, they were highly toxic in animal studies and tended to kill off the animals. So that was already an indication that we probably shouldn't mess with this thing. Um, as it mutates quickly, you know, the vaccine is chasing uh, an old strain. So that's, ch- that's ch- part Chasing of the our tail. But do, do you think it is also shedding the spike and that some people, when they test positive, whether they had the shots or not, um, and it does seem like people are now getting it multiple times, multiple times. What's up with that? Is is that shedding? Yes. Uh, well, that's unable to. Okay, here's here's one reason that that's happening. Um, the uh, SARS-CoV-2 has a spike protein, uh, which was um, the Wuhan strain spike protein is what the mRNA vaccines produce. And so the bodies of the vaccinated people are directing antibodies against that spike protein. But there's also an N protein, nucleocapsid protein. That's inside the viral capsid. And that N protein, uh, that's something that it turns out that unvaccinated people who are naturally exposed to COVID make antibodies against. And so a recent study found that 93% of those of us who are unvaccinated are making antibodies not only against the spike protein, from previous exposure, but also against the N protein. So we have a broader spectrum of ability to fight against SARS-CoV-2. However, the people who are vaccinated are only that original antigenic sin has their immune system really focused on that old spike protein that from Wuhan that's not in circulation anymore and is ignoring uh, aspects of Omicron, aspects of Delta that are different as well as the end protein. So there's so much about uh, the, um, the strains that are circulating now that a vaccinated person is ill-equipped to face. From going through hundreds of studies, and that's what you did here, you, you went through all the literature up until the date of publication, so it would be very current. What are some of the... Do you have a way of quantifying? I mean, this is the big reason why you wrote the book, because we have we, we, we know the issues here, the issues there. You got the neurological issues there. You got the reproductive. You got the, um, you know, all the inflammatory autoimmune and then cardiovascular hematological. It's all over the map, but it's hard to quant. We know it's bad. We know it's a woefully negative net liability and really an absolute liability now because it, it, there's no efficacy for anyone anymore, especially with this strain. 
Um, but exactly the degree of damage is obviously being covered up. And we know it's always worse than what we're seeing. Um, now, even a tiny percentage, given that most of the world was given the shot, so especially the Western world, is a tremendous amount of people. Do you have enough data to kind of give us a ballpark of how many people had serious short-term or potential long-term damage from this, aside from the just, you know, few-day kind of flu-like melees that a tremendous amount of people got? Uh, I think I think we have seen the tip of the iceberg, but I don't have any way of measuring the entire mass of the iceberg. So a lot of that, um, you know, that's not yet revealed is still quite murky. And here's why I say that, as you know, when the soccer games happen throughout the world, and athletes in a very aerobically intense sport who were forced to get the COVID vaccine seem to be okay uh, going onto the soccer field at the beginning of the game. And then suddenly, as you know, uh, their intensity of cardiac output hits a certain peak and then collapse on the field, collapsing in front of what ended up being uh, millions of fans, because I think at the time of the writing, 942 um, different distinct um, events of athlete collapse had happened. Uh, now we see the tip of the iceberg, but that one is the, it's the tip, it's the, what's protruding, it's what's most obvious, because um, these are people who are very physically active and suddenly felt you know, they fall uh, and the the heart is failing them at that minute. And whether they survive it or not, it's uh, it's evidence of cardiac damage. Now take a sedentary person. Okay, and a sedentary person who doesn't put up that kind of cardiac output, I don't think we're necessarily going to see that damage um, in the immediate term or, or know when that damage happens. There's cardiac uh, magnetic resistance resonance imaging that can detect it. There are labs, troponin, D-dimer, et cetera, the platelets, uh, in which we can kind of look and see if some of that damage has occurred. Uh, but a lot of people are not getting those labs, one, because they don't know to look for them or their physicians don't know or don't bother or, or something like that. And um, also, we might have missed a peak of when those labs were the highest. Uh, there's a lot that is unknown uh, about the rest of the population. The trouble is myocarditis, you know, it's not a trivial thing, and it involves the death of cardiomyocytes. These are cells that cause our heart to beat, but they are irreplaceable. Once they die, they're gone. Um, I mean, it's not like the adrenal glands of the liver where we can actually regenerate some of the tissue. We can't in the heart, unfortunately. And it kind of has a high mortality rate, higher than, uh, than you know, heart attack uh, in, in five years. So I think we've seen kind of the tip of the iceberg and uh, there are problems. However, okay, that was really pessimistic. May I tell you the optimistic uh, flip side of that? Well, wait, so, so just before the optimistic, okay. I'm assuming you agree with okay. what doctors Peter McCullough and Malone have been saying recently that – Whatever the rate of myocarditis is, one in a thousand for the males, maybe one in five thousand for other people, that that's the tip of the iceberg, and that a much much larger cohort probably have subclinical myocarditis that may or may not come out at any given time. Exactly, and I wrote that in a peer-reviewed paper. Um, I wrote that uh, a year ago. So um, I've been warning about the COVID vaccines specifically on that basis. 
that we may be missing it in older people, more sedentary people. Um, just because we're seeing it when somebody is at a peak of cardiac output doesn't mean it's not happening in those of us who have a more, you know, restful lifestyle. Because it's interesting. I, I just said on the show a couple of days ago, there is a German survey, very fascinating uh, and it, it really jived with the Israeli Health Ministry survey, where they asked people, "Okay, you know, what was your issue? How many, you know, how many problems you have?" And you know, the Israeli survey focused more on the serious stuff. This focused more on the the money quote was thirty seven percent experienced enough malaise and illness in the hours and days right after the second shot that they couldn't work. They temporarily couldn't work. That was the kind of headline from that. German study, but one of the things they noticed, which we seem to find in every study, is that generally, except for the heart, I guess, but generally, women report more damage and younger people more than older. So it's not just that for younger people, it's an even worse cost-benefit analysis because they're not as uh, threatened by the virus, but that younger people legitimately seem to be reporting more damage. Is that because of what you're saying, that they're more active, or is there another reason behind that? Uh, I think it may relate to the activity. I think it may relate to the fact that older people may have had some cardiovascular hits in the past that may have taken a toll on the cardiovascular system, and the new assault uh, could be, you know, kind of swept into that, uh, that, oh, well, I wasn't feeling that well to begin with. My blood pressure has been high to begin with. So, you know, I don't uh, have too much difference now. Now, the gender difference, we might uh, want to temper with this thought. Um, 80% of all healthcare consumers are female, or at least had been uh, throughout recent decades. That's may have changed since COVID. Um, but that's, that's quite a lopsided, you know. Um, Is that because so females report it more? You're saying it's not necessarily that pathophysiologically affects them worse than males? Well, just to indulge in stereotypes for a moment, I guess uh, women are, you know, uh, it's said that a woman between the age of uh, 30 and 65 is the CMO of her family, the chief medical officer. In other words, uh, you're going to go to the doctor. You have, a, you have this problem, go to the doctor, and I will take you to the doctor. So there might be more of a culturally induced um, trust of the medical system and maybe perhaps a stereotypical uh, independence of males that I don't need to go to a doctor, I'll be fine. Uh, I don't know. But now I'm indulging in the unjustified stereotypes, so I better not go too far down that road. Sure, sure. But e either way, we're seeing this is the tip of the ice. It's very, very ubiquitous. Um, I don't know if you know how much you structure your book this way, but do you have a hierarchy of what keeps you up the most at night? We talked a little bit about heart. We talked about cancer. What sort of long-term damage are you the most concerned about from all the literature we're seeing on the shots? Well, uh I, you know, what, what really bothers me the most is I wrote my warning, which was chapter one in February of 2021. Um, that did not get seen by people who desperately needed to see it. Most of those people, the vast majority, still don't know that they really needed to see it. Now they've taken an irreversible shot. Who knows what kind of time bomb that has unleashed. And the reason that we don't know is because the mRNA produces spike protein, 
but for how long? Um, I think I've seen some evidence that uh, that might go on for months, but uh, Dr. McCullough is giving arguments that it could be over a year. I think that's perfectly plausible. He's probably right about that, but nobody really knows um, that mRNA has gotten through the body. Also, what I really regret is not I mean, I tried to get that information out there. Um, I really tried. Uh, when I warned, when I put a warning on Twitter, Twitter permanently suspended me. They took me from 20,000 followers down to zero. 20,000 might not seem like very much at all. However, it was more than twice as much as the next highest naturopathic physician or even naturopathic organization or entity. So, uh, well, you know, still 20,000 is not that many. But those were people who could not see what I was warning them about, what may have uh, really saved them a lot of heartache. Now, the heartache extends to the infertility. Okay, so miscarriages, as you've written about, so, uh, you know, you were right on top of this uh, issue, is that this has been um, a serious problem that is still unrecognized. Um, And... You know, all the pregnant women that have been talked into this vaccine, but all the uh, youth who might have wanted to be parents in the future, I hope they can do that. But I'm not so sure because um, this incitin uh, one protein of the placenta is apparently attacked by the spike protein. So now we've got a problem. Um, I hope I hope that this resolves. Oh, oh, and I can tell you the optimistic uh, counterpoint to that if you like. Okay, so at one point in my book, in the chapter three on Bradford Hill criteria, I, I reproduce from open bears. Open bears is a very useful way of interpreting, you know, vaccine-averse event reporting system from the Health and Human Services. And I'm sure your listeners are familiar with it. But uh, if you notice the curve there, it's a hyperbolic attenuating curve. In other words, um, the vast majority of deaths and um and the uh, injuries that have been reported from the vaccine have been reported within the first two days. And in other words, 50% of the deaths seem to occur two days after the vaccine, and 80% of the deaths, roughly, seem to occur within two weeks. After that, there are fewer and fewer. So what I'm hoping is that the end result, that, that the carnage is, uh, you know, almost over or over. I would, I would like or, to Or does that. that just mean that there is such a stigma against uh, painting it, a picture and tracing it back to it. people tell me all the time, even when it's blaringly obvious, no one wants to do yeah. it, that certainly as you get, you know, a few months away, no one will trace it back, even though it's the only plausible explanation. I'm saying, could it just exactly. be and, a confirmation mm-hmm. bias, a selection bias that, uh, I mean, I hear what you're saying. The hope is that anyone who skated through this without any seeming seemingly bad reactions to it that they should be okay especially if they didn't get a third one and a fourth one but we don't know that because the bottom line is what i've noticed is that the myocarditis numbers really did increase exponentially in 2022 even though fewer people got the shot which makes me wonder if you know you are seeing some of that subclinical uh, go kinetic long long term so i'd say it's like it's it's an optimistic hope but it's and broadly, this is your problem. We don't know what we don't know, and there is no desire or effort from any NGO or governmental agency to actually have a pharmacovigilance uh, program and and data that is easy to collect. And they probably do have it, but don't want to share it. And we're just right. flying blind. And this is the service you try to do: is to put together 
everything we do know. Um, what other service do you hope to provide with this book that people could find useful? Well, uh, the uh, useful aspect that I can do right now is to keep the price as low as I can so that as many of these books will find their ways into the uh, the hands of parents who might be wanting to vaccinate their children or a uh, neighbor who w- might want to intimidate neighbor into uh, getting a COVID vaccine. I need people to see this. So I basically priced it as low as Amazon would let me. And when I say as low as they would let me, you know, in all fairness to Amazon, they they can't lose money on printing, handling, and shipping. So, I mean, they're pretty economical as it is. And uh, that that was about as low as I could go. In other words, you know, I don't want it to be prohibitive for people to be able to share it with people who absolutely need it, you know. Sure, um, assuming they, it, don't, it, they just, don't cancel you, which mm-hmm. I'm surprised they haven't. Uh, oh, yeah. I'm really surprised, too, actually. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I might have... Uh, I might be, um, you know, shoved down a bit uh, otherwise in the rankings, uh, but that's okay. Let me not get too cynical sure. about so, that. So, so yes, you, made it, you made it cheap, but also you have some advice. I haven't gotten a chance to read the chapter yet, but you have on medical exemptions. Could you give us a little bit of an outline of advice? People are looking religious medical exemptions. People are still looking for that, um, and a lot of people are struggling with succeeding in that. What's some of your advice on seeking religious exemptions? Oh, yes. Uh, so the caveat that I'm not an attorney, hopefully everybody knows, means that anything that I say that has any legal impact is, uh, you know, not an attorney speaking. Just a little bit of uh, historical um, viewpoint, and that is that over the last year, it seems that religious exemptions have been stronger, um, le- harder for an employer to fight back against than medical exemptions. I've written medical exemptions for everybody who asks, and the reason I do is because these shots are toxic, and more importantly, a person needs the right to say that they are refusing a, a medical treatment, and that's certainly backed up by United States laws, um, and I would argue several amendments to the U.S. Constitution. However, the religious exemption has historically uh, been a little bit uh, more useful. Like, for example, here are some of the religious arguments that have worked. Um, you know, uh, these vaccines were developed uh, using tissues, using cells that have been cultured from aborted fetal tissue. Even though that fetal tissue may have been taken a long time ago, I still do not support that industry, and I don't want that cannibalistic abomination inside my body. That's been a rather strong argument that some of uh, my patients have used with their employers uh, before they even tried a medical exemption, and it worked. And here's another one. the body is the temple of the spirit. This is expressed uh, in a number of religions. And, you know, if the corollary to that is if the body is the temple of the spirit, then let's not trash the body, you know, but let's have some respect for it. And uh, there are some other arguments that one might make, but one thing that I think is important for people to know, people might say, oh, well, I haven't gone to a religious service in years. I'm rather secular, so I can't use that. That's not the case. The Supreme Court recognizes any, quote, sincerely held religious belief. You don't necessarily have to be a card-carrying member of a specific religion in order to say, or, or for example, you could say uh, Harvard and MIT showed that uh, our mRNA can change DNA. If, I, if my DNA changes, am I still what we consider to be human, uh, according to any religious uh, understanding of what being 
human is, or have I become a genetically modified organism, which might not uh, be any religion's understanding of what human is, perhaps. You know, that would be a religious argument. So you, you outline them in the legal rationale, not as a, as a lawyer, but more as a, a doctor, obviously, and giving advice in the book. Um, I don't know how much you get into masks in this book, but I do want to just end off briefly with this because I thought we were done with it, but evidently not. I mean, school districts are going yeah. back to it. The military is still doing it on some bases, even outdoors, in the heat, rigorous training. It's it's truly unbelievable. Unlike with the shots where, at least in our circles, we have documented a good amount of the scope of the of the damage and people dropping dead suddenly. For the most part, you know, people look upon mass as dehumanizing, illegal, a violation of your body, annoying. But you were one of the early voices warning about long-term of uh, damage. What are you seeing? Um, and and what are your what are your latest concerns about this two years worth of mask use? Uh, I guess my biggest fear is what it's done to children. Uh, children, absolutely, we all need our oxygen without obstruction. It is absolutely necessary for bodily function. And if we look around at nature, no successful species uh, obstructs its own breathing. So that should be a clue right there that it's probably not a good idea to do. I mean, if we um, look at natural selection and the species that have thrived to the current day and not one of them do it, well, we have evidence that masks injure brain, heart, lungs, immune system, and even the kidneys. However, um, maybe one of my primary motivations in writing about the hazards of masks, the known hazards of masks, is the deprivation of oxygen. Because as a naturopathic oncologist, I'm aware of, you know, uh, almost 100 years ago, Otto Warburg, PhD in biochemistry, won the Nobel Prize for showing that the event of cancer begins with the event of loss of oxygen. Hmm. Uh, when oxygen is lost, you know, we take uh, our metabolism through a different process. Well, wait, does this tie into the fact that cancers hate oxygen and, you know, hyperbaric oxygen treatment seems to work against it? Does that have what to do with that? Yes. Yes, very true. And uh, I like a hyperbaric oxygen treatment for cancer. I think it's good, but still, prevention is a lot easier than cure. Wait so, a minute. I, I never mean, heard that. Can... You're saying the deprivation of ox- oxygen, um, so it's not just the toxins, the microplastics you're worried about, but the long term, I mean, you have eight hours a day, some people for two years, you know, rigorous heat. Um, and we now know from uh, we now now do have a study out that uh, most children that were sampled uh, were over you know five thousand ppm's of carbon dioxide very quickly yeah. after a few minutes in their in the you know were measured in their level. Exactly. So you're saying that is actually a cancer hazard, not just a cardiovascular uh, issue. Um, that is wow. I mean, talk about multiple fronts of of cancer risk you know you inject the shots you put on the 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 masks on their breathing that is that is fascinating if if not scary and my research team wrote about this uh going on two years ago that this is a real problem that not only is there you know the excess carbon dioxide hypercapnia which talked about but there's a hypoxia or lack of oxygen uh 
adults and children especially need that oxygen, need to not have it obstructed. Our brains need it. You know, neurologists were ringing the alarm bells about this is the brain cannot function without optimal oxygen. But also we've known for so long, so many decades that uh, the initial event in causation of cancer is loss of oxygen. Now, like you say, uh, microplastics, other substances, radiation, that can cause that loss of oxygen. But when a cell loses oxygen, it has to find another way to live. That other way to live is anaerobic glycolysis. And then it can regenerate other cells just like it that, oh, well, we can live without that much oxygen. Yes, well, uh, there's some other bodily rules broken so that it starts growing in an un- you know, in a way that's um, against the best interests of the person. So. Wow. So this, there's a lot to cover. As always, you're very thorough. All of your books are footnoted more than any book around. Uh, so this, again, neither safe nor effective. The evidence against COVID vaccines, uh, just 10 bucks paperback on Amazon. You could pick it up. This is your one-stop shop of evidence, of the core evidence against the shots. Uh, Dr. Huber, definitely keep us updated on this. But at some point, I do want to revisit you know, cancer treatments, because I'm learning so much more about this, that the more I learn, we were lied to about uh, how to treat COVID. Boy, oh boy, do I, I see you're right. Uh, your approach to cancer is probably not the last resort, but the first resort. And that's definitely something we need to look at. Well, perhaps that's what has my uh, my medical board upset, because they're actually threatening my license at this time. And they have nothing to go on because no patient has complained of that I harmed them. So they're saying, well, we don't like the way you write chart notes, which, of course, can be infinitely yep. criticized. You know, oh, you, did, you used this preposition. You should have used the other one, you know. And, and all doctors kind of have That's messy handwriting, so we'll just dock them all for that. <laughs> so uh, yes. anyway, th- thanks for your service. I mean, you're really one of the quiet heroes. You're not all over the TV, all over everything, but you're pumping out copious information first in your papers on masks and then now two solid solid books uh the case for early treatment the case against the shots so again you could pick that up you just click on her name and amazon you could really see all her books both on covid and cancer uh truly works of art dr huber good luck in getting the word out and looking forward to working with you in the current in, in the coming days thank you daniel it's always a pleasure to talk to you take care and, and guys, look, in the past, I would have thought she was a quack doctor. I really would have thought that in, in my past life. But one after another, she's right on everything. You go to natureworksbest.com, her cancer clinic website, because it's, it's hard, otherwise hard to find her online. And she has these videos out explaining the pathophysiology of cancer. And I don't hear anyone rebutting that or even speaking to it. Uh, and... You know, she's on to something with the way she treats that. And certainly, uh, boy, was she quick on the draw with COVID. Very scholarly book she came out with, but it's pretty consumable. The feat of COVID and now the new one, neither safe nor effective. You could follow her on Substack at Colleen Huber NMD. Just one thing she mentioned there at the end that she's uh, being attacked by the medical board. I know she's in Arizona. That's, again, allegedly a state under Governor, Governor Doug Ducey. He's the head of the Republican Governors Association. He's outgoing, and hopefully we'll get Carrie Lake in there much better. But this this is a big, big deal. Um, 
one of the ideas that's it's being proposed by Senator Bob Hall in Texas, because Texas Medical Board is also just as pathetic as a blue state one, same problem there, and we had them go after Dr. Henson and everything. Uh, and by the way, the more I think about it, I think Dr. Henson also is an ENT. Uh, he, he noted that uh, there's cancer concerns with the masks, and I think, you know, come to think of it, he, he raised a similar concern. But anyway, I digress. He has a bill. One of the reforms would be to ensure that the medical board cannot take a complaint not lodged by a patient. Okay, if there's something wrong, let a patient come forward. Otherwise, it's political. And as she mentioned, it's not by any patient. I think this is definitely... Uh, something we need to pursue. Let me know your questions for Dr. Huber. Uh, she'll be happy to answer them. Email me, Horowitz at startmail.com. We are just about out of time, even though we have so much more. I will have a pre-taped show for Monday, so I'll be a little bit slow at the beginning of the week, but we will have a full show, a very exciting show at that with a really exciting guest and idea to promote. Send this show and all the information to everyone you know this is the problem, you know, just like people complain, you know, my work is overshadowed by the bigger names in this industry that put out garbage. It's the same thing with Dr. Huber. You know, she does all the hard work and doesn't really get much credit for it. We need to spotlight and support those that are actually doing the hard work as a service for people that actually care about the true right to life from conception to natural death. Till next week, we'll be back pre-tape Monday in the flesh on Tuesday. God bless you all. Enjoy your time with your family. Thank you for listening.